Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me is my beautiful wife, Erica, the weaker vessel. Hello, everyone. We are also joined by our biggest supporter ever, Sandra. Hey, y'all. Sandra Rowlett. That's right. If you want to find out more about Awakening Reformation, we're members of the Rebel Alliance Media. Go to rebelalliancemedia.com. We have two other podcasts in this little media conglomerate, Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids, which we record with our kids, and that comes out on Mondays, a podcast meant for families. And then the Rebel Podcast comes out Wednesdays with P. Nate and Poots, a.k.a. Vanilla Knox. Vanilla X. And all the other nicknames we can come up with. There are more resources on our social media pages and on the website, so go check it out. Today, we are doing a special episode because it is the one-year anniversary of Awakening Reformation podcast. That's right. One whole year. (sighs) And um, last year, it was the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses on the Castle Church door in Wittenberg. And that was when we began this podcast. And now it's been a year. And now we belong to the Rebels. That's right. We belong to the Rebel Alliance Media now. We almost have keys to Canada. <laughs> so close. A lot of our theology has changed. We've uh, grown a lot. So anyway, this episode, Sandra is on with us to ask us some questions. She's playing She's playing host today. Yeah. Uh-oh, we're in trouble then. So take it away, Sandra. <laughs> okay, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pressure okay so we have some questions that people want to know i guess we'll just start off at the top so the first question is what has god taught you in the last year and what have been your biggest challenges uh go ahead grant well probably the biggest thing in the last year that we have learned is our covenant theology that changed a lot in our lives we changed churches it affected a lot of our theology Mm mm-hmm how we view our children, how we view our children in church. Which we should do a podcast episode about that someday. We probably should. That would be a good one. You know, that led us into becoming members of the PCA and really diving into Presbyterianism as a whole. When that whole process began, though, I can remember calling Sandra. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. I might have talked to her before I talked to you about it, honestly. I don't know. It was pretty close, but I remember all of us were kind of like, searching it out and trying to figure out where we stood on some of the arguments we'd heard. Right. And I feel like you two jumped in quicker quicker and easier than yeah. I did. I think we did too. Yeah. Let's make Erica become a Presbyterian with us. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you have to poke holes in it and to see if it sticks, you know? Yeah. Whenever you're going to change. That was a big change though because it did change pretty much everything else we did. Yeah, it was big. So the biggest challenge in the last year has probably been moving. Is that what you're going at? It's just challenge or like spiritual challenge? I mean, I mean, yeah, it depends on what you're asking necessarily. Biggest physical challenge was definitely the move and just settling in somewhere else. Somewhere new. Yeah. I mean, the last 
three months have been just kind of a whirlwind of insanity. Like, my dad got sick. We moved. Yeah. We had to settle in. You started your new job. The new school year started. Like, everything just kind of happened all at once. And yeah. So, that was challenging. Yes, it was. Well, part of becoming Presbyterian was challenging because it seemed like we walked into a place where everyone is crazy smart in their theology, and it felt like I was way behind and needed to catch up I with always, everybody. I always feel that way. So that yeah, which was good. It was That an wasn't awesome... a new experience for me. What? So that wasn't a new experience for me. You're crazy. Next question. Okay, so I guess that would... I'm just going to lead into this next question. Is it awkward being the only Presbyterians in a group of Baptists? <laughs> Maybe if they just weren't so nice. <laughs> they're Canadian, so they're so nice. They're just so nice to everyone. <laughs> I don't think it's awkward at all. No, and I think one of the... I don't think we've ever felt a shred of, I don't know, tension or, like, awkwardness. I haven't felt that way. No, and the purpose of Rebel Alliance Media doesn't have to do with who we baptize and when and how much water. Right. So... We are able to be united on what we really want to do with our podcasts and with the blog. So it really works. Yeah. And we just love them. And they are great Christian people that are super kind. And they were welcoming to us and wanting to partner. Yeah. Despite the theological differences in a couple little areas. Yeah. So no, it hasn't felt awkward or anything. Yeah. There's never been any arguments or any tension or anything. It's just always been easy and yeah. um, there's always been unity in every decision that we've made. Like it's just been right. pretty seamless. Maybe they're holding back a lot and they're frustrated, but Grant <laughs> and I are great. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know, well, guys. If they, <laughs> if they are, they should just put it out on their next podcast. Yeah. And have it all out there. Yeah. And this is your opening, guys. <laughs> right. Here's your uh, amnesty. Uh-huh. But there's a lot of collegial jabbing on social media and even behind the behind oh, the yeah, scenes it's, that it's friendly. we poke at each other and it's super fun and they're understanding. But it's all lighthearted and yeah. in good taste. Exactly. Since we're on the topic of recording now, how is it recording with your kids? Oh, that was one of the challenges. <laughs> <laughs> recording with kids is about how you would imagine it to be. Pretty fun and pretty frustrating. It's like Really frustrating at times because they get distracted and they're wiggling around. And when you record, even just the small wiggling around can make noises and kind of ruin the sound. And so just that little uh, frustration can happen. But you get on record some of the funniest stuff ever. If we were better with our technological abilities... We would have a blooper reel of oh all the gosh. funny things our kids have said. Fathers of the Faith blooper reel. <laughs> I mean, there have been some hysterical times. Like, we'll be yeah. editing and we'll just be rolling. And then the other reward is hearing them actually come out with great insights and understanding of what we are actually trying to teach them and yeah. bring them up in. And so... Or we'll be out and about and our kids will see something or read something and they'll be like, oh, hey, that is like you know, John Bunyan, or that's just right. like such and such. Right. And it's just kind of cute that they remember everything. Yeah. And when we were able to go up to Connecticut, Massachusetts, a weekend here recently, and we visited the site where Jonathan Edwards preached 
the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, the kids knew who he was and they knew Mm -hmm. that sermon. And they were excited because they knew who he was. Yeah. So that makes it all worthwhile to go through some Mm -hmm. of the struggles of (laughs) recording with kids. Recording with kids. Yeah. Well, we have a few theological questions, too, that people want to know. Sounds good. Okay. So one of them, I'm assuming, has to do with your marriage series, and it's how do you encourage your husband to lead? How do you, do you do that, Grant? What do you got? How do I encourage? <laughs> How him? do you encourage your husband to <laughs> Stop. lead? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not that kind of podcast. Yeah. So this is like a very nuanced question because it can depend on if your husband is a Christian or not a Christian. Every man is leading their home. He's just being a bad leader or a good leader. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming the question is, how can I encourage my husband to lead in a more godly fashion? And yeah, I would assume that that's what they're talking about. If that's the case, then I think what you need to do is take a serious look at yourself as a wife and, and ask yourself, are there things that I'm doing that are keeping him from leading in a more godly way? You know, am I belittling him? Am I taking on a portion of his uh, role or responsibility that God has given to him? Am I um, emasculating him? Am I demeaning him to the kids. Like, there might be things that you're doing that just hold him back. And maybe it just starts with a conversation and just saying, you know, I would love for you to lead our family and to really blossom into this role that God's given you as the leader of your home. Is there anything I do that, that holds you back, that keeps you from being what God would have you to be? And that would be a great question. Listen carefully. Don't get emotional. Um, Take what he says seriously, even if you think he might be uh, maybe not so (laughs) factual. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because even if you think he's wrong, if he seriously is thinking whatever, you know, he's he's saying, then you need to consider it and not just push back against it and be like, well, you're just exaggerating or you're you're crazy or whatever. So that would be the number one thing is just be humble and ask him what you can do to help him and what you can do to change and be a, a more submissive helpmate and see if that doesn't enable him to like flourish in his role. And then that's just a simple thing. If you do have a husband who is like, no, babe, there's nothing you do that holds me back. You're a great helpmate and you're just stuck. Then what? Then well, I would, why aren't you doing it? Yeah, then I would say maybe he just needs a little encouragement and be like, well, here are some things that I think maybe we can work on together as a family, whether it's like family worship or being more proactive with the kids and just encouraging him gently towards godliness. We see women like Deborah doing that. And I mean, it's a biblical concept for a woman to encourage men in their masculinity, mm-hmm. not in a toxic way, but in a edifying way as one Christian spurring on another Christian towards godliness. You can do that to your husband. And maybe there is some sin that needs to be confessed. And if if there is something that you just have this feeling in your heart that there's something that he's hiding and that's holding him back, then maybe pray over that and ask God for timing and wisdom. And maybe God can give you a an opening where you can just ask him, you know, is there something that you're not telling me? I can see this in you and it's worrying me is there something you're not telling me i would say that this 
guy has an authority of scripture problem. If he's that resistant, if he's really uh, neglecting this duty, then his problem really is that he doesn't see the scripture as authority because it's clear that the dads are supposed to bring their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, in the training and instruction of the Lord, teaching them God's ways, teaching them who he is, teaching them how to worship God. So that is their role, and it's clear. So I get it if you're... Maybe he's ignorant. Maybe he just needs a a wife to come alongside of him and help him out and say, this is what God requires of you. Yeah. This is why catechisms we have found are so helpful, is even when you may not feel qualified to teach your kids or lead them into understanding scripture, you have catechisms to help you with question and answer, so then when you're teaching them, you're learning at the same time. And no one's saying that you have to come in and be Moses. You know, if you're a new believer and you're just trying to learn the ropes, so to speak, no one's expecting you to come in and like lead all the Israelites. Like there are helps and you're going to need discipleship and Mm -hmm. it's not going to be like an instantaneous change. I mean, it is a process. So that's why I, I think as a wife, you need to be patient. You need to encourage You need to sometimes maybe point out where there's priorities that are being misplaced or maybe some sin Mm -hmm. tendencies and do it gently, but there should be an upward progress. Yep. So, hopefully that's helpful. Okay, so, okay, right. How do you deal with family members that aren't believers? So, if the family members are, like, combative against your beliefs, I guess. If you have kids, this can be very hard because you might be teaching them to love and respect grandma and grandpa or whomever else, but some of grandma and grandpa's decisions are not godly decisions or biblical decisions, and that can be very confusing, especially for little kids. In those kind of situations, you're just honest. As Christian parents, try your hardest to never mislead your children. Just be honest and say, grandma and grandpa don't love Jesus. And that's really sad. But we can pray for grandma and grandpa because we know that God changes the hearts of people and God can change grandma and grandpa's hearts. Let's pray for grandma and grandpa. And we can love them and we can honor them, but some of their decisions aren't going to be good decisions. And we need to be careful that, you know, we don't practice certain habits the way they do. Knowing whether they've heard the gospel or heard the true gospel is usually at the forefront of my mind when I think about this, because some family members might have never heard the gospel, Mm -hmm. or maybe they've never heard a true biblical gospel message. Maybe they've heard televangelists, you know what I mean? Something Mm -hmm. horrible that they don't like for good reason, and they just never heard the gospel. So, Mm -hmm. ask them, have you ever really heard the message of the Bible? And a lot of people will be like, no, I haven't. Because usually they haven't. They've heard here and there something here, judge not, or they hear random things, but they haven't really heard the message of the Bible. Or Jesus loves you or something like that. Yeah, right. And the gospel is powerful, and obviously we believe it changes hearts. Mm -hmm. But once they know and have rejected it, then it's you're a light, you're a city on a hill, and you do good works so that your light may shine, that others may Mm -hmm. see them and glorify God in heaven. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes your witness and your example and your striving to live out the gospel message for those people. They've heard it already and have rejected it. So now 
you love on them and you try to show them the gospel, show them selfless sacrifice uh-huh. in hopes that it ministers to them and affects them in hopes that the spirit will and use that. Sandra and I were actually just kind of talking about this recently too. We were saying something to the effect of when you're the Christian in a family who doesn't understand Christian values and you, you have shared the gospel, you have had those conversations and they reject it. When you just make life decisions about how you celebrate holidays, birthdays, your time, your money, your resources, they're going to be frustrated because they're not going to understand your value system. They just don't. Right. Because they have a different one. (laughs) And at first, they might be very angry with you. But if you stand your ground and you stay faithful to what you believe is biblical, after a while, they will at least admire you for your consistency. Yeah. And it's a testimony. Yeah, it is. Because a lot of times making Christian and godly decisions in life are so drastically different than Mm -hmm. the world. It's a lot of times shocking. Well, and people are very passionate about the new diet fads or the new thing they're selling or whatever, but it doesn't last very long. You know, most people who get on a bandwagon of this new diet pill or this new thing that you can sell, whatever it is, they're all hyped up on it for maybe a year and then they kind of fizzle out. And it's like, I think a lot of family thinks, oh, well, Christianity is just this new thing that's going to fizzle out in a couple of years. Right. And when it doesn't, when you are consistent in it, and it really does influence your entire life, it it makes them take notice. It has actually changed you. It's not just a fad. Right. Exactly. It's real. Mm -hmm. It has substance to it. Yep. How do you handle maturing in your faith faster than your friends mature in their faith? Like it's causing friction because you're growing and they're not. Yeah. Um, I've been on both sides of that. Yeah. I'm Friends sure growing have. and I'm like, I don't want to hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Like you're crazy. Yeah. Um, I think for the friend who is growing, you need to be patient. And remember that for you, sanctification has been a process. So you didn't just become a Christian and all of a sudden understand all these complex doctrines overnight. Someone had to teach you. It took time. It took the Holy Spirit convincing you, scripture renewing you, all these things. You need to be prayerful for people, whether it's your friends, a spouse, a family member, your kids, whatever. Pray for them and be a bold witness to them and patiently teach them. Patiently. Yeah, very patiently. (laughs) Don't shove it down their throats. Don't demean them. Don't talk to them like they're stupid. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things that Reformed Christians get a bad rap for is just being angry and harsh. Condescending. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Just be nice. And realize, too, that the Spirit is who gave you this understanding, not you. It wasn't your greatness and your brilliant mind that came to understand these doctrines or teachings of the Bible. Mm -hmm. It was the Spirit opening up your eyes and blessing you with that understanding. Yeah. So, that should cause you to be humble, Mm -hmm. and you need to uh, extend that to your friends, too, and not be prideful and thinking that you're better than them, but pray that the Spirit do the same for them. Mm -hmm. And like Erica said, share it with them. Ask them questions. Hey, have you thought about this? Because I've had people in my past who did that with me. They just asked me questions. Hey, have you ever thought about how this verse says this? And I remember being stumped and just like, 
this conversation needs to end now. Like, I don't need to. I don't want to sound stupid. But it pricked me to where that night I'm, you know, flipping through the Bible and understanding and like, what in the world is he talking about? And and that was very effective to get me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether they're really trying to or not or what their mindset. Motivation. Yeah. It certainly worked, and the Holy Spirit certainly used that to spark a flame and and cause me to mature and grow. So be patient. Just ask simple questions. Bring up specific verses or a specific doctrine, and say, "Hey, what do you what do you think about the doctrine of justification? Have you thought about that doctrine of election or covenant theology? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever studied that? Mm-hmm. And just let the conversation go." Yeah. Um, what What about for the new Christian who? doesn't know the doctors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and that's where discipleship <laughs> can really be helpful. Right. And if you are in that position where you're kind of discipling someone, I would hope that they would want to be discipled if they are a new Christian. Usually new Christians are very hungry, and it's a great opportunity for you to kind of mold and shape them a little bit. For the person who is growing and they feel like all of a sudden they have – a new understanding, and it's really exciting, the temptation is for knowledge to puff up. Right. For you to become haughty and what you know. And knowledge is a great thing, and the scripture says we're supposed to seek after it. Mm-hmm. So we're not supposed to just not have knowledge or wisdom. We're supposed to. It's a good thing. Right. But we need to be careful that it doesn't just puff us up, but rather it does the opposite, and it humbles us. Right. It needs to be married with love. Mm-hmm. Which is what, yeah, First Corinthians 13 talks about. Yeah. So, exactly. And for the Christian who's feeling like they're going through a winter season right now where maybe they're not growing so much or they've kind of been stagnant for a little while, I mean, semper reformanda. You know, we should That's be right. constantly being reformed in our mind by scripture. So right. ask yourself, is it because I'm being lazy? Is it because I'm being stubborn? Or is it because maybe I'm not even a believer? Maybe there's just a gospel change that needs to happen in your heart. Mm -hmm. And you've just been riding an emotional wave and now it's done where the gospel hasn't even transformed you ever. Yeah. So just some questions to consider. Get you going. Yeah. Also, Sandra, (laughs) when you and I first became friends, do you remember one of the very first conversations we had? When I remember lots of first conversations we had. <laughs> <laughs> when we were in my kitchen and I was like, okay, I need to tell you something. And we're either like not going to be friends after this, but you just need to know. Do you remember what I told you? Girl, let me just tell you before you even say this that like <laughs> we're military wives. And when you meet other military wives, you never know what's going to come out of their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I could really be friends with this girl. And then you said that, and I thought, this is it. This is when I run. <laughs> Where's the but door? yes, I remember. That's hilarious. <laughs> you were like, I'm reformed. I'm a Calvinist. Is that going to be a problem? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you. This could have went so many ways. <laughs> that could have been so much worse. But sometimes it's just being honest and being like, this is going to be super awkward to have this conversation with someone, but here it is. I'm reformed. I'm a Calvinist. What do you think about that? And let it lie. And God can use it to knit hearts and God can use it to regenerate hearts. So be bold. Yeah. That's so funny. Girl, it scared me so bad. <laughs> 
And then she said that, and I was just like, oh, that was so not even a big deal. I don't know why she was so worried. <laughs> I can totally handle that. Some That's people, <laughs> Some people really care about that, though. All right. So what's y'all's next study going to be on? Ooh. All right. We get to announce the next series. Sandra, so, aren't you going to be part of the next series, you and your husband? I don't know. We're still thinking about it, you know. I mean, oh. You already signed the contract. It. In blood. I mean, we're <laughs> reformed and we're cabinets. I don't know if y'all can handle that. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to be going through Burkhoff. Lewis Burkhoff's Manual for Christian Doctrine. Yes. So if you're familiar with Reformed Systematic Theologies, you're going to be familiar with Burkhoff. Yep. Also, if you're Dutch, you love Burkhoff all the more, as I do. Van Brimmer. Except for he's Amil, but I forgive him because he's Dutch. Anyhow, his Manual for Christian Doctrine, which I encourage everyone to go buy. It's cheap. It's, it's $4 cheap. on eBay. Yeah. It was very cheap to buy. The chapters are short. There's questions at the end of each chapter, and it's basically an abbreviated version of his systematic theology. And so we're going to take several chapters mm -hmm. in each episode. We don't just, know how many we're going to do if we yeah, will we end up recording all of it, but a good portion. Yeah. And we're just going to talk through theology, and we're yeah. going to talk through it with our friends Sandra and Scotty. Yeah. They are excited to learn and to go through uh, Burkhoff's manual there. I don't know. Are they? Are you? I thought they were. Are you signed? When they signed in blood, I thought that was a sign of excitement. We are very excited. So, so yeah. So <laughs> little... so, we are so excited. We are so, so excited. How many so's can you say to make it believable? So, so, so excited. <laughs> and yeah, it's just going to be a roundtable discussion, kind of how we always have done it. Mm -hmm. Going through a systematic theology. I'm excited. I'm really excited to run through it. We went through. Can we say excited anymore. I'm I'm thrilled. enthralled. Enthralled. <laughs> I am ecstatic. I'm super happy. All the e words. Um, glad. I don't know. I'm just gonna start naming. Glad. I'm glad. I'm glad we're going through it. I'm, I'm glad, glad we're glad. going. That was like so so, so glad we downshifted there. <laughs> I'm very glad. <laughs> So, hope you, listener, are excited, too. Excited. I don't know. You're the teacher. I don't I'm know. Just Sandra, you have an older kid. He watches videos. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> basically going to school, you know, in our kitchen. <laughs> oh, so funny. Oh, my goodness. Anyway. anyway, also, we want to announce... Something that we have been working very hard on, and hopefully we have done, now that we're about to promise it to you. Yes. But we have been working with the Rowlets on a family worship advent. Right. And hopefully we can get that out to you. I think we're shooting for November 27th. For it to begin. That would be for the first day. For it to day, begin. Yeah. And it's going to be weekdays, Monday through Friday, we're going to have a blog, a short blog released on Rebel Alliance Media's yeah. Facebook page and their webpage. Right. And it will just be a, a short devotional, scripture reading, a hymn. All of it will be included and released each day. The liturgy for the, for the day will be included. Right. 
and released every day. So you don't have to print off a big yeah. a big uh, advent. You can just click on the website. Super easy. Yep. You just download it, scroll through it with your family. Um, it's going to be really good. And yeah. it, it's got that like post-millennial flair that we weren't really honestly trying to do. No. But when you go you through some of those like Old Testament prophecies, yeah. like it's just, it's right there, man. You can't help it. You really can't. be real. If you're just reading the scripture, it's there. Exactly. It's all over. Boom. Well, it started as something that we wanted to do for our own families right. personally, because we both do family worship with our kids mm-hmm. anyway. So we wanted to do something, obviously, Christmas, for like Christmas. Advent focused anyway. Yeah. And we're like, well, let's just write a liturgy. Yeah. That way we can use the same thing every year. So the project just kept getting bigger and growing, <laughs> and now it's become the labor and now of love. We're giving it to all you guys, and yeah, so we're hoping to release it to all of you guys, and it'll be really good, really fun. We'd love to hear back how families have used it, and yeah, and send pictures, upload pictures yeah. of you guys doing your family advent. That'd be awesome. Hashtag Rebel Advent. Yeah. Also, Fathers of the Faith will be taking portions of the advent and Mm -hmm. recording it with our kids so each week we have five movements to the christmas story and we'll be walking through the five movements each week so our goal is to hit five weeks and each movement day yep for the fathers of the faith for covenant kids podcast yep so it's very confusing it's a lot of numbers (laughs) and a lot of dates but trust us, it will be very good, Just and you will enjoy it. Be on the lookout, and if you have a family, hopefully you're excited. Or roommates. Like, if you have roommates, and well, you true. Advents for everyone. are hosting yeah. a life group, I mean, I think it would just be helpful for any of those Yeah, you can use it for Sunday whatever. schools, if you're just looking for something, women's Bible study, men's Bible study, yeah. something quick, easy, accessible. Right. It'll be good. I mean, honestly, you could do it with your... Just your your spouse. Yeah. Well, and since I mean, it's you guys could just do an advent, just the two of you guys. Yeah, exactly. Because it's every day. It would be your Bible study for the whole month. Yeah. Another way for it to be used would be pastors and your office staff. Yeah, like a morning. Yeah, just a morning devotional or something. Because mm-hmm. it's going to be short. It's not very long. No. So, but it could be used for that too. Because it's Monday to Friday. Yep. So. Well, speaking of worship, I have one last question for you guys. All right. Um, What about the regulative principle of worship? Like, what do we think about it? Yeah, what what do you think about the regulative principle of worship? So why don't you talk about what it is? Why don't you explain that first? Okay. The regulative principle of worship is basically the guiding principle for what should be done in the corporate worship of the church. So when we gather, what is it we do? So, what is our guiding principle for what we do? What regulates mm-hmm. what God's people do when they gather and worship God together? There are varying degrees of this about. as well, right? Right. So, there's the one end of the spectrum, which was the Lutheran end of the spectrum during the Reformation, which was as long as God's word doesn't forbid it, then it's allowed. Now, tease that out to its logical end and you can get into some weird stuff weird stuff in the worship service and we wouldn't agree with that and we think that the bible is pretty clear that god does care a whole lot about what happens during worship Mm -hmm. the common example is nadab and abihu who 
come up with their own way to offer um, fire to the Lord. And God says, what is this strange fire that you're offering to me? And they're both struck dead and burned out by the fire. Yeah, MacArthur and Driscoll had a little thing about that. Yeah, there's a whole conference about that and stuff. But So God does care. The other end of the spectrum would be a extremely strict regulative principle, which says unless God's word tells us explicitly to do it. Like a direct command. Yes. Then um then don't then you're not allowed to do it. So you only do those things that are explicitly directly commanded for us to do. So in the Bible it says preach the word. So right? That so needs we preach to be the word. done every Sunday in the worship service. It says to, you know, pray without ceasing and there's a lot of stuff about prayer, so we pray at church. Or reading scriptures. I think Acts two forty two talks about yeah. like kind of what in general yeah. Christians ought to do. Communion, mm-hmm. prayer, preaching, and even singing uh hymns and songs and spiritual songs. This is where the varying degrees of the regulative principle comes into play, too, because there are people who would say that we're only supposed to sing psalms, that we can't sing modern hymns, modern meaning probably past the canon being closed, right? Mm -hmm. I would imagine. Yeah, anything written outside of the 66 books of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. So there's like a lot of variation there. (laughs) They also say that musical instruments are not to be played in corporate worship either because there's nothing in the new testament about playing musical instruments so because we're not told to play musical instruments we're not supposed to so you only follow those explicit direct commands Mm -hmm. where we would land on this issue would be that it is a principle it is the regulative worship principle so we take the principle and apply it across and then follow that. So prayer, yes. So singing songs, spiritual songs, hymns. And so if a song represents scripture faithfully in its lyrical content, then it should be good in worship. Mm-hmm. And music styles the same way. Is If it is glorifying to God and it is not posing a distraction or drawing attention to something other than the worship of God, mm-hmm. then then it is okay. So there's just lots of variation there. And there are people who would say that no matter what, someone standing in front of you playing an instrument is distracting. There are people who say that playing an instrument is glorifying to God because of the way the sound waves work and our, you know, how they, how our ears respond to the sound waves. And I mean, people, people can make an argument so many different ways. So we would land on a soft in the squishy middle the squishy middle of regulated principle and the uh normative principle is what the other mm-hmm. side would be called where you for sure don't just make up things and start adding all this stuff that is nowhere in the bible right that you do in your worship service so no barking no crawling on the ground no banners no ballet no ballet no dancing. Grant will have to keep his tights in the drawer. I don't have... Why would you even say that? Thomas, that's for you. <laughs> um, there's a lot that the American church does in worship that does not belong in worship. And our 
there are a lot of worship songs that don't belong in worship. Well, right, not and that's part of it songs. is that the lyrics are not biblically faithful. Yeah, and that should matter to people. The songs are not filler. Yeah. They aren't just something to get people into the mood before or the sermon. Or get them hyped. Yeah. They're worship to the one and only God of the universe. So, they need to be I think honored. at the heart of the regulative principle of worship is just a proper fear of the Lord. Yeah. Or it should be. That should be the heart of it. Properly fearing the Lord and seeking to obey how he's directed us to worship him. Mm-hmm. There are people who are going to heap rules onto rules, and I think that that can have a adverse effect mm-hmm. and can make us Pharisees. And then there are people who don't fear the Lord at all and therefore f- feel as though they can make up rules for themselves. Right. And both of those people can err. In are their- in error. Yeah. Yeah. So, like you said, it's a principle. You yeah. try and uh, exhume from Scripture what... What it is we should be doing. Yes. And our pastor back in North Carolina said it well. He would always say that when people come to worship, though, it should be unlike any other experience Mm -hmm. that they have. It shouldn't be like the big concert you went to Friday night or Saturday night. People should walk in and go, what are they doing? This is holy. This is set apart. This is distinct and different. They're worshiping the one and true holy God. You know, it should be a whole different feeling and and experience than what they experience out in the world. Yeah. And uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you might get nailed for calling it an experience, but... I know, but it is. It, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. But I'm not saying anything more than that. I know. <laughs> Doug Wilson said something about church music, too, and how what kind of music should be played in church. You know, he didn't lay down a very strict, only this genre, only piano and that's it, or only... But what he did say is it is normal to have a certain type of music for a certain type of action. Yeah. So it's weird if you have the Nutcracker playing during like a Transformers movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. There are just certain types of music that are fitting for the occasion. Yeah. So he was just making the point that at church, a certain type of music is just more fitting for the honor and worship of God than others. Mm -hmm. Not that those types of music are bad in and of themselves, just maybe not supposed to be in worship. Well, yeah. It's so, a principle of worship. And that's another yeah. thing that you could talk about briefly, too, is there are people who go so extreme as they think that the regulative principle of worship extends outside of the corporate worship on a right. Sunday. And they'd say, well, all of life is worship. So the regulative, regulative principle of worship extends that into our home and personal lives outside of corporate worship as well. Yeah, and I would completely disagree with them. Yeah, I would too. I'm not serving communion to my kids every day. I'm not. I mean, you know what I mean? There's Sometimes just... I feel like I am. True story. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Goldfish and juicy juice. You just can't apply that to to family worship at home and to all of life too because God did separate our, our daily life from uh, the corporate gathering of worship. And that, that's what people would call like the, the cult, the cult practices of a people. It's its what they do when they get together and they worship. It's their acts of religion. And that's different than at home than when we gather as a gather as a church. Yeah. So I don't agree with them. But I know we've heard, we've listened to some Presbyterians that are on that 
side of things that... But you and I would probably be called more liberal Presbyterians anyway. I know. I know. Not in a Tisby kind of way, but like just... Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You rebels, you. Ooh, Sandra. (laughs) Bazinga. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) That was good. Yeah, it was. So, we want to thank the listeners for spending a year with us. And maybe you haven't been there since the beginning, but we thank you that you're listening now. This has been a lot of fun. We are just going to keep trucking along because we love doing this podcast. And we love interacting with you guys. We love the feedback we get on social media. The only thing that would make year two better is if we heard from you guys more frequently. Yeah, that's true. Nice things. (laughs) Now tell what you really think, people. So like and comment and share. Sandra tells us what's up. That I do. (laughs) So we just want to extend a huge thank you to you guys. And to the Rebels, to Nate and to Chris and Ben and Dave and Andrew, to you guys who have taken us under your wing and included us into your little family. Yeah. We appreciate all the love and support. Yep. This has been so fun. Yeah. Tune in next week for another episode and keep a lookout for the Burkoff series that we will be kicking off soon as well as the Advent series on the blog and on the Fathers of the Faith podcast very soon. And we pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the Spirit. And until next time, get woke. Yeah. Let's start with the microphone check. One, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search. They say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gain, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart. From original sin, the effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a dark. State, Alaska in the winter time, sour in our frames. Left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames. Cause we're powerless to change. If you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily. As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3.